Listeners, we'd like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Matt, Nick, Justin, Sarah, Teddy, Paul, and Anna, who is new this week. Thank you all so much for your financial contributions. And thank you to Nick for bumping up your financial contribution. I hope you enjoy that Aldersgate Day card that will come around next May. Uh, We promise that we will use all of this money to do great things. If you have $5 or more a month to spare and would like to help us do stuff like buy new mics or uh, purchase podcasting software or pay our guests or uh, hire Ian as our director of advancement in a stunning display of nepotism, or if you want to help us pay for podcast hosting, you can join our supporters over on Patreon at patreon.com slash W-T-H-I-A-P. And when you do that, you will also get access to the Patreon-only podcast that Ian and I record, which is called Pillow Talk which is also a delight yep <laughs> agreed Ethan doesn't know he's never heard it <laughs> i have yet to hear an episode for i am not a patreon supporter but of my own day. podcast <laughs> one um, day <laughs> if you are not in a position to send us financial support as ethan is not you can also send us social media support by sharing us on the platform of your choice or following us on twitter or facebook And if you do that in the next week or so, you can send in some questions for the next mailbag episode that we do. So look in the description and find where you can find us on the internet and we'll all have a lovely chat together. Or you can just keep listening. That is good too. Absolutely. And now on to the show. Hello. The, the creepy thing about the this meeting is being recorded announcement. I don't know if it does it on your end, but it doesn't show up in the Zoom recording. So there's just silence. And then we all talk about it as if it has happened. Anyway. Right. <laughs> it's just a yes, it is, yeah, I do hear it. And okay. it is often very creepy. It's just such a robotic voice. Like if it wasn't, if it did not sound like the recording was going to come for our souls after we end recording, I would feel different about it. But it sounds like it wants to kill us. It does. This meeting is being recorded. Right. Comforter and counselor, administrator and teacher, spirit-led truth seeker, minister. Preacher, sermon leader, actor, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is a pastor? So listeners, everybody, we've made it to season three of What the Hell is a Pastor? Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That is crazy. It feels like it has been both 80 years and no years (laughs) all at once. I was going back through and cataloging the episodes to like make the episode numbering system the same across the seasons and see where we were at. And we have put up a lot. We have 195 episodes that we have uploaded. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, So yeah, it's funny because in that very first episode, I tell the story about the doors, the new doors being installed at the church. Uh Um, And I say, well, these are clearly not going to stay. We're clearly getting new doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. I remember that. But those doors are going to be there forever. <laughs> they are until that church is <laughs> torn down and, and paved over for an expansion of a casino. Those things are going to be there forever. That's right. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's definitely, it's funny to watch the journey from, uh, the episode descriptions are like, we tell fun stories from our week to, uh, like the existential dread and despair that we, I feel like we're coming back out of. I feel like we're getting back into what is ministry like instead of just feeling sad all the time. No, I think you're right. Well, the, the podcast serves as a really good, like live journal. You know what I mean? Like it's it's for both of us, you know, and we we get to what listeners get to observe us, you know, go through the ups and downs, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So that's okay. Yeah, I uh, I in my in the back of my head, I think I feel like there'll be some PhD candidate five years down the road who will be like looking for uh, will be studying like the decline of young clergy in the 2020s <laughs> and they'll right. find our podcast and they'll I be like, so. Hmm, I would like to use this for research purposes. And I'll be like, great. Let me tell you how bad it was. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. <laughs> Maybe we'll feel differently in five years. Who knows? Anyway. So what have you been up to this week? I was at camp this week. How was that? Um, it was fun. I, uh, I, so I go to, I've been connected to a, a, a week of church camp in Pennsylvania for many years now. Um, I think, I think I, the first time I was there was maybe 2013. Oh, wow. Um, I think, cause I started going, uh, the year before I went into seminary. So yeah, it must've been that the summer of 2013. And, um, uh, it's called Mestival. Uh, that's our week of camp where we, we do messy themed games with third through sixth graders. Ooh. Um, and it's not fun for me. I won't no. lie. <laughs> I won't lie. I not only do I hate camp and was a lousy camper as a kid, um, but uh, I hate mess about as much as I hate camp. And so when that was our theme of the week, I'm always like, well, okay. But I, I bring a certain charm to camp that I've always brought ever since I was a counselor. And now I'm the camp pastor. So I'm, I'm a member of the support staff team now where I help with programming rather than I'm a, I'm a counselor who sees the kids all the time. Um, but it was good. It was a good week. It was, uh, you know, the post COVID week, right? If we we're not really in post COVID, but, post the summer being canceled because of COVID. Right. And so we had a smaller group than usual, which we expected. And we had some COVID restrictions where we, we only ate outside and we were in um, family groups that were more like just the family groups doing stuff together rather than, you know, kind of mixing and doing stuff. And what I do at camp Joe is I, I have a persona that is only sort of a persona where I like hate kids. <laughs> That's like my persona. And so I do like a lot of insulting and a lot of threatening to beat them, you know, and stuff like that. And it's a lot of fun. The kids love it. <laughs> the kids are like, this is great. You know, like because they all think it's a persona. They're like, but that's the reason, of course, loves us. And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> You know, whatever, whatever you say, kids, smelly, awful kids. Um, 
but uh, um, you do genuinely care for the kids, though. Like you're not, you're not going to beat them. None of these things are true. You're not in the mean, actually I, insulting them. I mean, I haven't beaten them yet. You know, <laughs> um, this goes so, something that the whole internet could hear. That's true. That's true. Did I actually beat kids? Allegedly, no. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I did not beat kids, and I do love these children. Um, although you know they're miserable and they're pukes, and so. Both of those things can be true at once. Absolutely. Um, uh, But, but like, it was a fine, it was a fine week camp. I prepared worship for camp and, you know, like I generally support the other folks. Like I'm not in charge of camp. You know, I, I, the, the two camp deans for our week of camp are in charge of camp and, uh, and they're great. Uh, Carolyn and Jason, and they've been a part of, the camping ministry for like 20 years and are really, really great. Carolyn is great. She's does a lot of the administrative stuff. And then Jason is sort of the programming guru and Jason in particular, he's uh, like, I think 39. He got his MDiv from Yale. What? You know, he, yeah, he's, he's uh, gay. He just finished uh, over the last six years. He was the, executive director of a faith-based nonprofit in Louisville, Kentucky, working with uh, LGBTQ uh, kids on the street. Wow. You know, and, and is very impressive guy and knows like one of my professors, like they went to Yale together. Like he's, he's really great. He's really great. And uh, so it's good to work with him. And, and, and it's a lot of, it it is a lot of fun. It's quite good. But like, because I've been doing it for a long time, like I have these, uh, you know, I have rapport with the kids and, and with the counselors, but that, but now I have like campers who aren't campers anymore, who like one of my former campers is now a counselor and Joey is his name. And so I got to hang out with Joey as a, as a camp, as a counselor, as like a 20 year old. And, and he's like, he's like, you're, you're different. And I'm like, yeah, brother, like you're not a child. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're not a child, Joey. Um, and then there's another one of my former campers. Uh, she's on summer staff at the campgrounds. And so she she does like, you know, she maintenance and programming through the campground and stuff like that. And her name's Miranda. And she's also great. And so it's kind of fun, you know, when we're there that week, that's like her week of camp. That was her week of camp as a camper. And so she's, you know, has a special place in my heart and she has a special place in her heart for our week of camp and we get special treats and all that good stuff it's good to have inns you know in camp um uh my two big i only have two highlights i i could sit for a good hour and just tell you camp stories because when i was a counselor joe i was always given like absolutely bananas like campers like mm-hmm. campers who like, you know, so one of the camp, my first year I had a camper who was like a feral child from the woods, basically, <laughs> um, who like spoke in growls and grunts and then like called like his mom was the camp nurse. He called his mom a dingbat to her face and wow. it, was, it was nuts. But that's another story. But uh, my two big uh, things that happened this year at camp was uh, one of my campers attacked me this week. What? like physically uh it was sort of a play thing like she like started attacking me and and i'm kind of like 
you know, like defending myself. It was play, but like at the same time, like she wouldn't leave me alone. And, and so she's like attacking me and I'm kind of knocking her away from me. And, uh, and, and we're outside and we're doing like the slip and slide and, you know, Miranda, like Miranda, my former camp camper is there. And like Emily, the site director for the campground is there and, and everybody's watching and laughing as this, as this girl is attacking. What happened, honey? What happened? She peed on the floor. Of course she did. Adrea peed on the floor. <laughs> Do you need to go help clean that up? No, I think it's okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll see if I get yelled at. Um, so, <laughs> so she's attacking me. And, uh, and everybody's laughing. Nobody's doing anything. And finally, I'm like, is somebody going to intervene? Like, I'm looking around, like, is anybody going to stop her? Anybody? And one, like Miranda's like, wow, you look really scared of an eight-year-old girl. And I'm like, Miranda, I don't want to like hurt her. Right. I don't want to like flip her on her back and hurt her. And, uh, and finally, like a counselor comes over and she's, she's like, all right, that's enough. And kind of like, kind of like pulls her away. And she growls at me. Wow. And goes for my throat. <laughs> like she like her hand shoots out and grabs my throat. And, and Emily, the site director, is like recording on her phone, uh, you know, like the slip and slide that's happening. And she catches me off camera yelling, I swear to Christ, I will beat you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this girl. And Emily like shuts the camera off and she's like, what is going on? And I'm like, nobody is stopping her. <laughs> nobody's oh nobody's getting involved. And then, and then Miranda, you know, the summer staff, who's my former camper, after this was all done, she was like, she was like, wow, I mean, if I had known you were so easy to beat up, I'd have done it already. And I'm like, if <laughs> now if you attack me, Miranda, I will beat you to death because you're because you're 20 years old and I'll do it. I'll kick your ass all over the place. And 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 she was, and then so she kicked me, and so I just stomped her right in her ass <laughs> and knocked her down. It was great. It was great. Emily laughed, you know. <laughs> Emily's like, don't don't hit him. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And so that was one highlight. Do and we call that uh, a highlight? Oh, I had a good time. Okay. <laughs> I swear to Christ. <laughs> so I was like, put that on the camp website. You know, <laughs> that'll be good. That's a put good it on the Facebook page for all the parents to see. It's a good voice clip. But uh, the other highlight was we share uh, our week of camp with the junior and senior high camp that are all just like teenage Hitlers, you know, like they're all they're The junior senior high kids are awful. They're mean. And, you know, where, whereas the third through sixth grade camp are miserable little pukes, junior, junior, senior high are like little awful, mean people. And um, there was a 14 year old girl from that camp. One of the days who started trashing and insulting one of my campers uh, for being overweight. Oh no! Yeah, it was all, it was very mean. And so she's sitting there, and she's like, you know, just saying really mean things to this camper. And this camper uh, is is from uh, inner city Harrisburg, 
This is his first time ever in nature. Mm. Like, and, and he looks at her and he just starts laughing at her. <laughs> okay. Like, like, he's just like, yeah, all right, kid. You know, like, like whatever. <laughs> you know? like, like, it's just not working. Like, this kid is just totally unfazed by this, by this mean teenage bully. And she's getting more and more angry. She's getting more and more angry that this bullying is not working, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so finally, you know, and, and all the kids are laughing at her because, because none of us are intimidated. And so she storms off. And about 30 minutes later, she comes back with the head of her camp. And I was in my brain, I, you said with the head. And I was like, she beheaded a stuffed animal to like bring it up. Was it a mascot? Like what's happening? That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Totally. It sounds right. Cause they're weird, but, but like, so she comes back with the head of her week of camp and, and the head of her week of camp is like, um, I believe my camper has something to say. Why don't go? Why don't you say it? And, and she's like, I'm sorry for calling you all a bunch of little kids, which is not what she said. She called, she called my kid fat. You know, that's what she said, but whatever. Sorry for calling you all a little, bunch of little kids. It's not what we should be doing here at church camp. Um, that's rude of me. And, and another one of my kids, who's the buddy of the kid that got made fun of, also from inner city Harrisburg, also his very first time in nature, interrupts her and says yeah whatever pizza face <laughs> wow <laughs> it just, just interrupts her and and it's great because she gets so offended she gets so angry and she's just like oh i have to get out of here before i say something really really mean and and so she like leaves but then the head of her week of camp begins to physically come on to like the kid who made that comment like she's like that was an incredibly rude thing for you to say i can't believe you would insult somebody like like and she starts getting like physically close to intimidate a nine-year-old oh my gosh and so i stand up and i start invading her space the head of their camp like i start getting in this woman's face and i'm like there's really no need to physically intimidate a nine-year-old yeah because it's ridiculous wow. you know and and if i could have I'd, I'd be like let's talk for a second about how a nine-year-old uh defended his other nine-year-old friend from a 14-year-old bully and you've got a problem that they didn't just accept your that your bullies like forced apology right that's ridiculous that's ridiculous um and then that my presence caused the other the, the head of the the other camp to just sort of leave. And that's how that story ended. But like I got, you know, I got a little I got a little triggered there. Like I was like, let's not let's not physically intimidate children today. Yeah. You know, that that might be good. Hmm. That's, that was my that was my second highlight of camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then like and then like they were like, well, Pastor Ethan really does care. And I'm like, get out of here, kids, for I. <laughs> I kick your butts, you know. <laughs> like you didn't see anything. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that you know that second part checks out a lot. Um, right. I'm just I I I don't know. I've seen I've seen like camp counselors be terrible. I I feel like that's kind of a thing in the movies of 
um, you just have really, really terrible people who are, you know, watching over kids at camp. But uh, I, like, I don't know that I've ever in all of my years of being a camp counselor seen somebody physically intimidate a child. Like, right. that's just bananas to me. That is not what we do. Well, and, and you know, the second kid was a black kid. And so ah. then there was that other dimension that I, I'm like, so a, a, a black, a nine-year-old black boy stands up to a, 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 a white 14-year-old girl and suddenly he's the villain. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like friends, the, and, I, and I, I should have I said that to her. I was like, do you realize the optics of what you're doing here? Like, I mean, like what is wrong with you? Yeah, not even just the optics, like the embedded racism that like you see a black kid standing up to somebody and your first move is to physically intimidate this child. Like you need to check what's going on in your brain there because that's, yeah. that's what's happening. Um, whew, sorry, let me pull that back. Wow, that's a lot. All right, so those, mm -hmm. <laughs> those are two highlights. Did you do anything that didn't involve like somebody physically attacking another person or was that just how camp goes? No, no. I mean, we, we played messy games with like paint and, uh, you know, like we didn't, sometimes we do like a food fight, which is absolutely disgusting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad we didn't do that this year. But, uh, but it was good. Like, we, I had a camp counselor, a longtime camp counselor uh, named Alex, who, who passed away last year in 2020 mm -hmm. from uh, a resurgence of his cancer. He had testicular cancer several years ago. And he was only, he was only 27 wow. you know, when he died. Um, but, but his cancer came back and, and, and like the doctor found like legions in his brain and, and you know, it just came back very badly. And so he, he, he was going to die. Like the, doc, the doctor knew he was going to die. He died in the middle of 2020. And so there are moments where, you know, that kind of hung heavy at camp um, in, in obviously a very tragic way, but also in, in good ways, you know, as some of our campers remember him, you know, and, and talked about, how much they liked him. He was also gay and, and, you know, camp, camp was an important part of his life. And, and uh, we have a cookout every, every week, every year, like where instead of going to the dining hall, we'll, we'll like cook hot dogs on a grill for the kids. And uh, Alex always cooked them. Uh, Cause Alex was always like, I think I'm the only one here who knows my way around wieners and none of the kids got it. Uh, <laughs> but we all thought it was funny. I love that. <laughs> we thought it was funny. He was very gay. How the kids didn't know he was gay, I don't know. <laughs> but but he was he was extremely gay uh, in all the great ways. Um, and uh, and so they asked me to cook the hot dogs. And so that I that was that was emotional for me. I was happy to do it, and you know, just remembering him. When I was sick in 2019, remember in 2019 I had all those stomach things going on. Mm -hmm. When 2019, the last time we had camp, you know, I arrived at camp and that was that was a summer that I lost because of the stomach weirdness that I was happening. I lost like like 20 pounds in like a month. Oh, wow. Like like I dropped all this weight because something, you know, something we were set with my stomach. And I remember I came in in 2019 at the start of camp. And, you know, I'm hugging counselors and 
and and everyone every one of them was like wow you just look so great like look at all the weight you've lost you you look great and that's fine like like that's there's some embedded weirdness and badness in that but i i knew they just you know i knew they meant well right Mm -hmm. and uh and alex came in now alex was in remission at the time and he came in you know uh, about 15 minutes after i got there and he's hugging people and he gets to me and he takes his sunglasses off and he goes is everything okay wow you know as he he was the he was the only one he was the only one who recognized that i was sick you know, because he had been sick. You know, and he right. was like, "Are you okay? You look really thin. Is everything okay?" And I'm like, "No, I'm. You know, I'm sick, and the doctors don't really know what's going on." And he's like, "Oh, well, what's going on? Like, what, what, what are your symptoms? Like, what's happening? You know?" And so, I, that was that's an important, yeah, that's sort of the story that I remembered with counselors and deans this week with him. That was both very sad, and very good mm-hmm. to kind of be back at camp and be with kids and remember our friend Alex you know as he told us stories about being the only openly gay man in his frat you know (laughs) and and he he was like the only allegedly the only homo in my frat (laughs) I'm like very good Alex very good Hmm. yeah oh gosh I it's really been hitting me a lot recently how um just how much mourning we all are like like there's the the mourning of like life that's just lost because of cancer of all the normal things that would have happened in any year like cancer's not normal but like all of the non-covid deaths that would have happened and then compiled on top of that we have all of the losses of people who've lost somebody because of covid or because they couldn't get medical care because of COVID. And like, it just like, every time I hear a story of like somebody who is like not here, it like, it hits me. I get like teary. I'm just like, yeah, like they're, they're just not. And I, I don't know. I don't know how to like deal with that because I don't personally, I, um, other than my friend who died earlier this year, uh, like I haven't really lost anybody huge, anybody like really close to me. Um, and so I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like where this grief is being triggered by, but like, it's, I, I feel like I, even though as a pastor, I had a lot of tools for helping other people handle grief and handle sadness. Um, I'm finding that like, I am overwhelmed by a lot of sadness that is not mine. Yeah. Uh, which is but then like but then also life does go on like you can remember people and and like have these beautiful moments of um of honoring somebody who is no longer with us and like that can be very good and very powerful but I think that I just haven't uh, allowed myself to feel a lot of the sadness of somebody not being there and so just that just really struck me with your story and it really hit me yeah I understand I do you know and it's like it was good to remember it really was you know and and camp was weird but still good with covid things and with you know him not being there and and it being just a different a different sort of vibe a different sort of feel but it was still good right like it was still it was still camp it was still good and so i'm happy for that 
and I almost listened to all of the second season of Old Gods of Appalachia on my trips up. So, oh, nice. I'm I'm just about caught up. I just got that last uh, hour long episode. Oh, it's. I gotta listen to. Um, really great season. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm really excited um, to <laughs> join their Patreon and get all of their Patreon stories, like during this hiatus after the season. Um, yeah. Because they've got they've got a ton of good stuff on there, I believe, from my memory of all the things they said, and like the the subplot with the Jack character who is yeah. in Build Mama a Coffin. I'm like, well, now I need to go listen to this. In the yeah, meantime, yeah. I've been listening to uh, the Magnus Archives. Have you listened to that at all? I I don't know that one. They are they mentioned it on. I think maybe just on the old God's social media because they were going to drop a like season uh, mid season finale, big episode that was going to drop on the same day as the last day of the Magnus archives. And a chunk of their fan base came from uh, the Magnus archives, putting a like little like, Hey, go listen to this, the show on their show. It might've been a paid ad. I don't really know how that worked, but anyway, um, I was like, you know, I've heard about this. Let me just go check it out and see. It's like a five season long horror anthology. And the basis is there's this guy who is the head archivist at the Magnus Institute, who's like going through these old statements of potentially paranormal events. Uh, Cause that's what the Magnus Institute does. And uh, they're all creepy. The writing is really, really good. Um, and I, is it the first season? Yeah, the first season kind of culminates in like this mysterious monster that had been showing up in some of the statements over the season coming and wrecking things. Uh, and it's like, it has been just an addictive thing for me. I have been binging it. And there's five whole seasons, it's completely done. So if oh, you need cool. more horror after Old Gods, it doesn't go like, it's, it, it is very, um, uh, you know how Old Gods has that like very like rooted in Appalachia feel like it knows the stories that it's telling and like what fits into that and what doesn't. Yes. And it doesn't really try to go outside of that. Magnus, the Magnus Archives does that. Like it knows that it is the show of a bunch of British people who are cataloging other people's experiences. And it, so it feels like librarians, but without like fun, magical, mystical librarians, but instead like night valian librarians who would like eat you um, right it's good it's so that's i have been listening to that that hasn't been like fantastic completely for uh my mental well-being but i've enjoyed yeah, it that's good i'll have to check that out i i really enjoyed the jack character kind of later in the season i i, I like that that's a good thing to include right the trickster mm-hmm. you know, kind of almost neutral character um but I, I really enjoyed the railroad man. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, what, what is so great about old gods, and this is definitely true in season one. It just wasn't, it was just such a background thing about season one. And it's become this, this has become more real in season two. They're really able to root the evil or much of the evil in the kind of uh, economic suffering of Appalachia, mm-hmm. right? And so like in season one, it's coal, right? Like like the reality of coal and the way that coal shapes the lives of so many people in that time period and rots so much death in that time period, you know, and, and it is, is really prevalent in season one. 
right with 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 that entire story with the the coal mine exploding in barlow kentucky mm-hmm. and and the evil that's sort of rooted in that you know and the way and the way that is both um the thing that gives so many people in appalachia life but at the expense of children or at the expense of their very lives themselves you know um and and the railroad is is the villain in season two Mm-hmm. you know and the railroad man is is such a perfect sort of distillation of that right like where are you from well friend i'm from the railroad you know and 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 you have to listen to me like the railroad will save you protect you make you make make everything good you know when really it's the railroad is made on the back of slave labor and it's made on the and it cuts through the green and 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 ruins communities and and nature and things like that, right? And and the railroad man, I think, w- what a great character to kind of present that, you know, and the way yeah. he talks and, and and everything. The the disdain, like that was the other thing. Railroad man has such disdain for the culture of the people, uh, mm-hmm. just like the railroad, you know, just like the way the railroad ends up being a thing, in in that time period. Yeah, and and he's so um, the writing is so obvious about like the myth of progress that is right. embedded with the idea of the railroad um, and it, it manifests destiny, which is fun uh, when you think it when you're when you're hearing that storyline in addition to the billionaire space race that's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. like I, I and part of me like I feel like there there's a conversation and like maybe this is this is a research project for somebody else but it would be interesting to compare the kind of uh, the conversation around uh the government building transportation building railroads and uh private companies building railroads versus how we're talking about space now versus like the space race back in the day um yeah because I think I, I genuinely think that we talk about it very differently now. Um, yeah, I love the railroad man. I think he, I think that's such a great character and Yuri Lowenthal just does, I mean, he is like the king of voice acting. It's, I, I follow a couple other podcasts who are people who are in LA and actors and things. And they're all like, like he literally wrote the book on this. He is, so good at it Uh, so Mm -hmm. for old gods to get him to do this i'm just amazed i'm so excited right (sighs) well and and that that is good because you're right the voice his voice acting with that role is really what makes is really makes it pretty amazing but um no i just think that it's i i think that what separates what what makes old god so compelling it really is the 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 evil in old gods you know the 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 villains the the bad stuff is um so how do i want to put it is 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 evil and bad for those who are being victimized by it but for the rest of us it doesn't it it doesn't always feel that way Mm. and so because old gods prioritizes the voices of those who are victimized by it, we we now experience it in very different ways, right? The the dread and the suffering and the the you know and 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 the the 
the way in which life just gets crushed, you know, people's lives are crushed by these, by these impossibly large and destructive things that, uh, like the fact that, the fact that uh, Baron and Locke's, you know, the Baron and Locke company's uh, main offices aren't even in Appalachia. Right. You know, they're, they're in Pennsylvania. You know, yeah, there's Appalachian mountains, mountains there, but like it's not it's not what we think of, right? You know, they're away, and and that removal makes them alien in the sort of the same way that like the Cthulhu monsters are alien, right? Mm-hmm. It's good. It, it's it's uh it's good. It's creepy and compelling and awful, you know awful in, in a lot of a lot of good ways so i like it definitely enjoyed it definitely thought it was good yeah i'm glad i hope people go listen to it like go go if you like horror go get your horror on Ugh. so what's going on in your life joe well stuff um i talked to my mom today <laughs> and she was like how are things with you and i was like oh, fine i uh, i don't know if i talked last week about how i had a a flat tire that i had like run over a nail and i had a slow leak in the tire um but i did because i have this big commute for my nanny job and it goes mm-hmm. down 66 and there's a lot of construction on 66 um, and so I was like, fine, one tire, that's okay. I will pay to replace this. It's just a tire. Uh, these are relatively new tires. They don't need to be replaced for a while, but fine, I'll pay for it. And they're like, you really should get the whole set done. And I'm like, I know you mechanics. I'm not going to buy a whole set of tires for no reason. Uh, and then lo and behold, a week later, not even a week later, a couple of days later, after we get the tire on, uh, I see the low pressure sign go up on my dashboard again. And I'm like, maybe it's just misbehaving. Maybe we're all fine. It'll be okay. No, I have another tire that's flat. Uh, and it turns out that that tire is on a wheel that's cracked. So I had to replace a wheel and I had to buy the rest of the set of tires. Uh, so. I- yeah. Oh, and I had to get a rental car because Ian is at his youth theology institute this week. So it's not like I could borrow his car or anything like that. Um, or like drop him off somewhere and go do because like I, I'm at this place with my nanny job where like this this maybe qualifies as an emergency, but I have uh taken enough vacation days and like asked them to move their schedule enough that like they're going to start looking for somebody else if I start asking for much more time off. So uh, I had to get a rental car, <laughs> just another great expense on top of that. Uh, and then I had the, uh, the credit union where my car is, where I have my car loan at, um, gave me a call and was like, do you no longer have insurance? Because we charge you $1,000 a month if you don't have the car insured. And I was oh like, oh my God what? I have insurance. This is fine. Uh, so I had, it turns out that they had sent me a letter and we just had not gotten in the mail. It had gotten the, one of those mail mix-ups. Um, and so it just hadn't got there until a month after they had wanted to charge me for it. And it just turns out when I transferred all my title and things up there, the uh, state farm office where I had my insurance in North Carolina told the bank that I didn't have insurance with them anymore and failed to n- mention that I had just transferred my policy. <laughs> right, right. Jeez. So I had that to deal with. It was just like, it was one thing after another logistics wise this past week. Uh, and then I get an email from um, 
from somebody who whose name I recognize, but I'm like, I'm trying to place where I know it from. And it's an email uh, about mentoring for certified candidates. Yes. And so I open it up and I'm like, oh, I, okay. Uh, there's a certified candidate mentoring group in the Smoky Mountain District, which is where I was serving. Um, and they're like, uh, we noticed that you are, since you're no longer a licensed local pastor and you're not in that mentoring group, but you're still a certified candidate, you're in this mentoring group now. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, and they're like, we have a meeting on Thursday. So if you could attend, that would be great. And I was like, I'm working all day Thursday. I can't do that. Um, but I will, uh, I'll have a set up a meeting. That's fine. We'll find a time to meet. Um, so I ended up having a meeting with uh, this person who is mentoring these, this group of certified candidates. Uh, he's was really nice, was really very understanding. I, from the get go was like, he's like, so how are things going? How was your, how was your discernment? How was everything? And I'm like, listen, I'm still very uh, hurt by the church and I'm still dealing with that. <laughs> and he's like, that makes sense. And we, I it just ended up being a really good meeting where good. he was like, it, not pushy about what needs to happen next. He was like, how can I support you? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't really know what I need in terms of support. Um, but it was good. But I was talking to Ian later. I, I was explaining like what had happened at the meeting. And uh, I had I had told the my the mentor had asked me um, what I was doing for like to like take care of myself and in terms of like spiritual healing. Right. And I was like, well, you know, I met with the spiritual director a couple of times, and Ian's like, but you're not doing that anymore. And I was like, well, no. Uh, and I was like, and I told him that I was like looking for a therapist, even though I hadn't found one. And Ian's like, yeah, no, you don't have one though. And I was like, and I've been trying to get a doctor's appointment for antidepressants. And Ian's like, yeah, but you, you, you don't have that though. <laughs> so it was this just like this litany of like, these are all things that I have done to like take care of myself. Uh, they're just not coming through. And my mentor was like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, uh, well, I have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> And Ian's like, this is just, this is more confirmation for Ian's theory that the podcast is therapy for me instead of therapy. But like, I have been, uh, the number of doctor's offices that I've called that just don't accept my insurance. I, it's just, right. it's been just a logistical nightmare of a week. But on the bright side, I got to take the telescope out for the first time. Right. It was just fun. Um, the the Youth Theology Institute is happening this week. And um, usually they go to DC for a week, but because of COVID, uh, American University is not letting people use their dorms, outside groups use their dorms over the summer. And so they are stuck at Shenandoah. Not stuck, but like that was a big draw of the Institute was to be able to go and do these things. And you can't now. Um, so... Anyway, they had a cookout as they're like mid, they've done, they finished one week, they have one week after this. And at the cookout, uh, apparently they had done like nature walks in the past and at this site. Um, and Ian thought it would be a fun idea for me to do an observing session. It's cloudy, uh, we could not see anything. Um, but I brought the telescope out. I aimed it at some stuff and tried my best and people came and looked at it. So that was nice. Um, and I did nice. a yeah, I did a little talk on science and religion that was a lot more scattered than I wanted it to be because I haven't been in front of a group of people since like January, <laughs> since December. <laughs> so I was like, how do I talk? I like, I had to like shout over the wind to like try to talk to the whole group. Um, so I was not necessarily loud enough 
uh, and I didn't necessarily have a, a very linear thought, but I, like I talked about how like, their whole worship service is um, based off the book, The Story of God, The Story of Us. Do you okay. know this book? I don't. I'll have to find who it's by and I'll put the, I'll put it in the show description, but it's this guy who grew up uh, like very white middle-class, but like liberal white middle-class uh, and knew that he had that bias. So he ends up going to Asbury for seminary <laughs> to like learn as a like sociological experiment to see how the other side thinks. And then out of, uh, out of all of his studies and studies after that, uh, comes this book where he's trying to tell like the meta narrative of the Bible. And okay. the first part of it is um, the like the way the story is told is it's a group, uh, like a gathering group of people who are in the Babylonian exile. And there's like one punk kid who's like writing songs about how we need to bash the Babylonians babies heads in. And then right. this old man is like, let me tell you our story. And so like goes through and tells you know, Genesis, but like basically does like, here are like big themes that are in the Bible. Uh, and then the New Testament one is this woman who is a Christian who is, has a house church and is telling the story of Jesus and the church and revelation to, um, to her house church, but also to this like merchant who is, uh, is interested in hearing about it. I'm like, I don't know that you're going to convert the capitalists, but good try. Um, but it's, it's, it's an interesting setting and it does do a good job of like, of saying the meta narrative that I feel that I learned in seminary, which is that that story of exile and coming back from exile and like covenant making and covenant breaking. Um, and at the end of each chapter, there's the kind of like the, the repeated theme is that um, we as humans never get it right, but God always finds a new way to be in community with us, which hmm. is fine. Um, it, it's, it's much better than what I would have expected knowing this person's credentials and demographics, which is maybe not generous of me, but is what I would have thought. Um, but at the same time, doesn't necessarily rub me completely the right way. But anyway, so that's what they're doing in worship. And so I talked about meta narratives. I talked about like the meta narrative of science uh, and how that's something that we need to investigate and challenge and we don't usually. Um, and you talked about like the meta narrative of the science and religion conflict. But all these kids are like, yeah, no science and religion go together. I don't know what the problem is. And I was like, well, that's cute. I'm glad that Gen Z is fine on this topic. So that's that. cute. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't prepared. Like all of my, all the things that I have started with my brain are um, ways of like taking the air out of the science and religion conflict argument. And so when people are like, oh yeah, science and religion just go together. I'm like, oh, well now I don't know what to do with you. Thanks. Let's go look at some stars. No, well, what you should have done, Joe, is you should have you should have just gone the opposite. Be like, they don't go together, <laughs> and this is why. They you know, are. and just just break the kids as much yeah. as you can. They're just a hundred percent in conflict, and we'll never go back together. Um, yeah, I, be, well, because also like there is a um, there is genuinely 
some level of at least tension between genuinely a tension between like metaphysics the metaphysics of like what we think of as science and then the metaphysics of each individual religion like they are not meant to go together they are not entirely simpatico so there is a level of needing to like um shift what you value in terms of making them go together um but that's that's also like I feel like within the realm of ethics and not necessarily within like a study of religion or a study of the philosophy of science right. um, yeah like there's a there's a real conversation to be had there I feel like it's best had like starting by talking about Frankenstein and kind of going from there but um but then people are all like, ooh, I just want to talk about spooky things. I'm like, no, what I really want to talk about is the atomic bomb. But I feel like this is a good place to start talking about how we think about the institution of science and its morality. We could also talk about like body statures. But again, then people go into like spooky, spooky realms. And I'm, I don't need us to do that. I just need us to understand that uh, the myth of progress forces us forward in a way that I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I, I just hung around. And, yeah. And then I just hung around and talked to some kids. It was fun. I dig it. I dig it. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's fun. Cool. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're able to to do things that you like, right? These are these are things that you enjoy doing, you know, being a science nerd. That's good. <laughs> but no, I mean serious. Like, like those are that's it's always nice when you know you're able to break up the monotony of awful existence with <laughs> things that you like i get to do that sometimes too even that's great <laughs> yeah it's a it was weird talking to my mom about it today because she was very enthusiastic uh, about me like having taken out the telescope to do things and my aunt had commented on the public facebook post uh, where the the lady who transferred the telescope to me was like this is the this is the new life for this telescope all this kind of stuff because she had been mm -hmm. updating everybody because she saw a lot of mutual friends with her ex-husband um who were who were interested to see like what was happening next uh, and my aunt had seen this post and commented that it was a blessing to the whole family that i was getting this telescope <laughs> i'm like i mean that's a little that's a little extreme <laughs> it's a lot of pressure <laughs> Well, I mean, hang on a second. Like, like, relax. You know, we don't need to. <laughs> we need to do that. But you have brought honor to us all, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. It's that's that's what makes me hesitate about being like, yeah, this is great, uh, because it, part of it to me makes it feel like everybody is now. Everybody around me is also casting around for a vocation that I can be a part of. Uh, sure. And they're like, great. Now there's now now you're sorted. Now we know what you're doing. You're doing this mm, now. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it. I, I and and that's that's part of like church language Christianese that drives me crazy. Like the what is it Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Stuff like that. Yeah, that there is a plan yeah. for you, you know, like yeah. just that base assumption that like there are there are paths laid out for you to walk down and uh, God's making it happen. God works all things to the good of those who love him. Like I, it, I don't it, like I just don't see how you think about the problem of evil sure. and then say, but God has a plan, you know, I 
sure. it never really hits me well. And so I've just expanded that into every facet of my life, which leaves me with crushing indecision. So I need to work on that. <laughs> right, right. Well, how do you justify, I shouldn't put it that way. That's an accusatory way. And I don't mean it in an accusatory way. Like, do you wrestle at all with that belief, with, with that tension, that uncomfortability you have with God's purposes and God's paths for you or for anybody with um, your belief in universal salvation? Um, I would like for you to say more before I answer. Well, I mean, like there's a sense in which um, God's uh, plan, we might say, to save all of creation, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a sense then that we can then also say uh, that that isn't doesn't God have um, what we might call a path of redemption mm. for all human beings, right? It, working it out fully, right? Like not in a not in a kind of a a um, uh, like like a like a predetermined tapestry in which one person's actions will a person's actions will inept will you know god has worked perfectly to lead to x result but like god's ability to um i don't know make meaning out of or god's ability to to maybe we could say make poetry out of you know the the kind of freedom of creation and that poetry God has promised will will lead to salvation, right? So like Dostoevsky, when he writes in Brothers Karamazov, wants to reject, or or at least the character of, of, of um, I think Ivan is his name, of Ivan, wants to reject this idea that, that God um, will use the suffering of an innocent child to save us all. Like, like that's not what I mean, you know? But like, but like that God, even though the child suffers, God will resurrect that child. God, God will bring about salvation, not because that child suffered, but in spite of that suffering, right? Or in spite of this sin or in spite of this evil. Like to me, to me, that notion um, jives well with this notion of, of, um, God setting out at least, at least in a net, uh, at least a, a, I don't know, some kind of eternal or abundant path, you know, for folks, even if that path isn't seen as this linear, you know, this action will lead to this action, which will lead to this action, which will inevitably lead to our salvation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think, um, that makes sense to me, but that makes sense to me in, um, as long as, how do I want to say this? What comes to mind as you're talking about that is the idea of a deterministic universe, Mm -hmm. uh, like that kind of enlightenment Newtonian idea that if you know, if you just knew enough, then you would be able to determine the outcome of the entire universe and how everything happens. Um, and everything then must be predetermined because if it's knowable, then it is determined. Um, but then that that idea is thrown out of the blown out of the water with quantum mechanics, where like the universe is inherently probabilistic. 
Um, and th th it tells you that like, actually, no, you cannot know, like at the basis of how, how everything comes together, there is an unknowing. Um, but things still come together and still function. Um, and like to, to zoom out from like that really granular level, like I, I think it's fine. I think it's, I think I, I like the idea that um, despite all of the things that happen, there is still a working happening, moving toward the redemption of all things and the restoration of all things in the eschaton. And that we see parts of that today, um, and and that and that we are called to be like the people who are working along that movement toward restoration, um, and that like we are we are a part of that, or we are kind of a part of the part of the drag against that movement forward. Um, sure. And like I I think that's all fine, but where I I have trouble kind of applying that big picture, almost eschatology to my day-to-day -day life. And, and I think that's where, where I run up against a lot of like the day-to-day -day Christian life <laughs> is that um, so much of it is taking this big story about the redemption of all creation um, and taking this, this big story about about community, about how we're called to be together, about the ways that we stumble and are called to be together, um, taking all of that and then just kind of reducing it down to God has a plan for your life too. Like, because so much of that is caught up in, in that very cheery version of Christianity, that very spiritual comfort version of Christianity. Um, that I, I got fed way too much of, <laughs> you sure. know, and that's why I have such a strong reaction against it, uh, especially because it does nothing to help you deal with the problem of evil. Um, which, like, none of this is new. None of this is ground that, like, I'm the first person to struggle with. It's just that I'm very uh, trapped in in that struggle in 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 that framework. Like, I don't know how to take this. Um, this larger redemption narrative that God is like, is working, is like genuinely doing something on a big scale. I don't know how to take that and say that like, also in my life, things are happening. Uh, because also because I'm like really gun shy of claiming anything as a blessing <laughs> right now, uh, because it could all fall to shit. And I'm just very aware of how things fall apart right now. Um, and this is not necessarily a season anywhere in the world where things seem like they're really coming together for anybody. Um, I, they are in like a lot of little ways, but we are all, we're still, there's still a pandemic. There is still injustice in the world. We have not made any great strides, you know, like we're just, we're still caught in a lot of the stuff that really bubbled to the surface in 2020, but people have stopped paying attention to it for the most part. And so I'm really... I, I don't know. I still feel very, yeah, caught and trapped and stuck and admired are all the words that I feel about, um, like, I feel like there should be some kind of freeing. There should be some kind of liberation and thinking that like God is working 
Um, and that there is a, even though it's not a deterministic plan, there is a plan that is in the working um, toward making things toward redemption. I still don't, that, that is in not the inspiration that it should be. And maybe that's my brain and maybe that's f not feeling settled in, in my work or whatever. Like maybe it's one of a million other factors, but it's not landing for me yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. It is. I was just wondering. I was just wondering. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hear you and I, I ultimately agree with a lot of what you're saying, like legitimately, because you're right. Like the news that God has, has a plan, right. That God is working things out for good uh, should be liberating and delivering and good news. You know, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be a thing we tell ourselves when either to help us sleep at night or it shouldn't be a thing we tell ourselves when what's really working for our good is continued exploitation of people, you know, or, right. or the continued, you know, in, in, inequality and bad things, right? To make it about old gods for a second, like the people who generate wealth because of the railroad, you know, God didn't generate their wealth for them. Right. You know, like their, their wealth got generated on the backs of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dead people who, you know, built the railroad, right? And didn't get paid for it um, and weren't and, protected. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that, maybe that is a really core thing that I need to continue to work out um, because, I, because through much of my life, like the vast majority of my life, I thought like things were working out for me just because, you know, like I, I had gotten lucky and, and it was fine. And then when you uh, like, not to make everything <laughs> about, about critical race theory or, but like we're having a conversation about race and, and reconciling ourselves to where the benefit and the privilege and why things are, are working out for people came from and like it comes from the fact that it worked out basically for my ancestors you know like there there was hard work involved but it, all of their not all of their wealth but like the wealth and the privilege that they enjoy that they then passed on to me happened because of a genocide in this country and mass enslavement and there's just no getting away from that and so people but but at the time it still would have been very easy to say god has blessed the the people who are being prosperous now when that's not that's not what it is um and again that's nothing new that's something that we haven't that we didn't like learn in seminary but like it is really just striking me on a very like personal level um and again thinking about like the pandemic again like I mean, I still worked, I still went out, I still visited people, but like as a pastor, I had a lot of flexibility with my schedule uh, and was able to take a lot of precautions and was able to protect myself in a lot of ways that like a lot of essential workers were not. Um, and I like, I've just been, I've been thinking a lot about the, the class differential in the experience of the pandemic between people who had to go to work, who had to go out and expose themselves, and then people who were able to work from home and stay home and self-quarantine and, uh, and 
not be forced to do labor that uh, was dangerous to their health. Yeah. And I, I, and I just, I continually find myself in this position of being very, very lucky. Um, and knowing that that really isn't completely the result of luck. So I, I don't know, like I, I'm trying to like reckon for myself, why, um, what are the ways in which I, I, just like what, like what is a blessing and what can I count as blessings? And like, where can I see the movement of God in my life? Like what, what in my situation was of God and what in my situation was an inheritance that I need to look twice at? Is, sure. Yeah. Sure. And I, and I don't disagree. You know, I, I think it's an art though. Like, I don't think it's a formula. Because like I, that, that way of thinking, you know, I think can be, we, we can reduce all things in our lives to, to that. And I don't, and I think we then miss a number of deeper truths about being human, right? Like, I suppose we can also reduce like the, so like, you know, Beth and I had a child that didn't die you know, and that was born ultimately healthy and we've been able to provide for her and, and all of that. And there's a sense in which we can reduce that to um, a product of our ancestors exploiting people, right? We can reduce that to, well, the reason why we can't, we, we have lower infant mortality rates is because of, you know, our inherited cultural and capital wealth from being white that we've you know or, or the reason why we were able to have land in the first place was because of stealing stealing land all of that's true right that's all true but like isn't it still good that Adrea is alive right you know and I'm not trying to be like I'm not trying to silence that that discourse right like I don't say that from a place of like wanting to to like be like yeah well what about this you know that's not what i mean like i just in in our wrestling with that reality together like at what point do we then sort of as individuals or as families or as kind of small communities you know with relatively little power say no it's good it's good that we ate today you know it's good that adrea is born it's good that it's good that there is love in our family, you know, things like that. Like, like, I think that the resentment comes in one of the ways in which resentment and white resentment, right. <laughs> come in is one of the, one of the many ways is that is through this sort of the constant liberal shaming of ourselves. Right. Right. Like, like it's not good to feel good because because feeling good means that you have missed the bad thing that you that you or your ancestors have done that has allowed you to feel good, which is frankly just the secular version of original sin, right? Like, isn't that just the secular version of the belief that we're wretches? Yeah. You know, that, that we start from this place of total depravity, you know? Um, 
I don't know. Like, like that's why I say it's art, right? Like, like we, we can't swing the pendulum in a totally other way. Like, and we, and it's not even really about finding the middle ground. It's about, it's about moving back and forth all the time, you know, and, and sort of artfully recognizing when this is a good thing, when what we're doing is good, you know, when, 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 when the blessing is in things like life and generosity and, and, and health and stuff like that, which is the very reason why, you know, Jesus identifies with those whose life has been, has been taken away or has been diminished or who, you know, why Jesus identifies with those who, um, who, who are on the outskirts and on the margins. It's not because on one hand it's, yes, it's because it's maybe it's bad to be very wealthy but it's not because it's good to suffer. Right. You know, and that's, I think the art, right. That that's the tricky part. Like it's Adrea is good. Right. That's good. It's, right. Like it doesn't yeah. mean that it doesn't mean that, you know, we don't teach her about the history of uh, people who look like us exploiting black and brown folks. Not at all. She has to reckon with that because she's a part of she's a part of white history, <laughs> right? right? But like, but but we can't we can't go all the way to secular Calvinism, you know, and say therefore you should feel shame all the time, right? You know, you should you should live in shame, you should live in guilt, because every single good thing that happens to you has only happened to you because once upon a time your white ancestors decided that this was theirs. Wow. You might yeah. as well just replace that with you. You should feel guilty because once upon a time, some mythical people ate from, you know, a tree and now God is punishing you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the same story. It's just told in this sort of secular key. Yeah. I, <sighs> So I don't disagree with that because um, I, I don't think that we should be feeling guilty every single day, but I do think that there's still, I, I, I still feel complicit in a terrible wrong that is far from being righted. Sure. Um, sure. And I think, I think it may be if I was doing something more active uh, because the shame doesn't help anybody, right? I, I, that maybe those initial moments of, of like the shock and, and shame of realizing that, um, realizing where your wealth comes from, <laughs> like maybe there, there's a, a societal value to that, but just ongoing like Puritan shame or Calvinist shame is, doesn't help anybody. Um, it, even to do it in a secular way, but that also doesn't mean that, that, and you're not saying that it does mean this, but it doesn't mean that no. you are just off the hook. No, not and, at all. Yeah. And, and so I think that I would feel better if I could see that I was constructively doing something with my life sure. that was writing this wrong, but also like, how <laughs> how do you do that in a world that like where we're having an argument about whether a wrong even happened like how do we how do you build a life that allows you to look at this 
uh, and not, and say, and not be caught up in a shame spiral. Uh, uh, yeah. And, right, and, right. and I don't want to like grasp at like, I need to have a profession that allows me to do that. Like I, I want to be able to do it in any opportunity that I have to do it. And, and I do think that like, I do good things. <laughs> I, like, I don't think that I'm a complete and total wretch um, most of the time, but I, I still, I, I think that now that I have been out of the pulpit for, it'll be eight months soon um, and have been out of being a pastor and have been like cobbling together an income and also just feeling very temporary and not really invested in anything for this period of time. I, um, I, I really want something to shift in my world in a in a way where I feel free to go do good things instead of either feeling like there's a very heavy expectation set upon me to go succeed in a particular way or um, feeling that my income is tied to me succeeding in doing good things when we all know that like all of our best efforts can fail. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So I think that we have affirmed for Ian that the podcast is in fact just therapy for me. I feel like I should pay you now. It's just therapy. It's not just therapy. It's not just therapy, Joe. This is also your fun, as you said to your, <laughs> to, to, your to your mentor. Well, I, this is what I do for fun. I podcast. <laughs> like, oh, and your mentor's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's a, I also like I shoehorned it in as a spiritual discipline. It's holy conversation. Easy. Yeah. anything can be holy conversation <laughs> holy conversation which Don't i really hate because like that is genuinely one of the things that like feeds me the most is like you know like small group conversations or like the conversations that would happen at the library when i was working there during seminary or like when we like when i was studying things with people like i really get a lot out of talking to people and find like holiness in these moments which is why i feel like the podcast has continued on because we're getting things out of it. Yeah. Um, so it's not a complete and total lie, but also it is a very easy thing to be like, I have all the conversations. No. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Well, I will wrap this holy conversation up. Sounds good. Listeners. Thanks for listening to what the hell is a pastor. We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time. Uh, it's a little better, I guess. I don't know what the hell is going on. Okay. <laughs> the, the other name for our podcast. <laughs>